Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, before we get into this morning's message, um, I think uh, we should take some time and pause and remember the events of 15 years ago, um, and particularly those who lost their lives and those first responders who rescued, uh, risked their lives to rescue others. And... Um, I think we should pray for those who lost loved ones and for those, like I said, those first responders who probably to this day still relive the events of that day, especially on this anniversary. So would you join me just in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, our comfort, our healer, our salvation, and our strength. Today we pray for those who lost their loved ones on this day 15 years ago, tragically, and continue to feel that loss, particularly on an anniversary like this. Pray that you would be that comfort to them, that you would surround them with your peace. And for those first responders who continue to live with that, um, those memories, and uh, I'm sure feel them much more so today, that you would be a source of strength for them, and healing and comfort as well. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are in this series. We're actually coming close to the end of our series, This Invitational Life, and it's based on the book by Steve Carter. Um, And we've been encouraging you to get this book, to read this book. We have a very few left. If you have not picked up your copy of this book, I would highly encourage you, even though we're well, well along in the sermon series, this is a book worth reading even on your own. We have a few of them left at the information desk, $5. We are underwriting most of the cost of these. You're basically getting them at half price. It is a life-changing book, and the more that you read it, the further you get into it, the better it gets. So pick up your copy um, today and start reading it. Um, So this whole invitational life thing, it's all about living a life that is open and, and welcoming um, to people around us. It's about living a life of grace and mercy towards others in all of our relationships. It's, it's about living a life that says to others, come along with me. I want to show you a better life. Um, it's all about helping our friends come to find Jesus. And, um, and, 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 if, and if you're here for the very first time today and you don't have a church background or maybe you have a bad church background and, or maybe you came because somebody invited you today, um, I just want to tell you I'm glad that you are here today because today we're going to talk about what this church is all about. This is why we exist together as a church, to help people, unchurched people particularly, become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ because we truly believe that this is the best life you could possibly have. Not just by and by, pie in the sky when I die, but right here, right now, today. And so if somebody invited you, it's because they love you. And, um, and, and, I'll, and I will tell you this, every one of us in this room who's become a follower of Jesus Christ did so because someone, somewhere, at some point in our life, shared that message of God's grace with us. And, and it felt a little awkward for them, and it felt a little awkward for us, and maybe felt a little bit nervous for them, and, and all of that, but they cared enough and loved us enough to share it and take that risk. And um, because it is risky. When you, when you share that faith, you're never, never sure what kind of response you're going to get. You start talking about spiritual things, and sometimes people get really defensive, and, and sometimes you're kind of worried about what it's going to do to our relationship, but it's worth the risk. And today, what I do want to do is, is talk about risk, and, um, and I'm just going to tell you, all of life is risky. 
Okay? Um, a guy named Larry Lawden wrote this book, The Angel Ahead, The Risks You Really Face on Life's Highways. And he talks about all the risks that you encounter every day because life is risky. And he says, even if, you were, even if you were to lock yourself up in your home and never come out, you would still be at risk. Here's a couple of examples. He says, the chances that you will be seriously injured at home in some fashion this year is 23%. One in four chance. And he counts, uh, um, an injury counts as a serious for these purposes that it requires immediate emergency medical treatment. He says the average injury in the home costs about $300 in medical treatment, involves around $900 in lost wages or salary. That figure translates into some 60 million Americans being injured each year around the house at a cost of some $75 billion. Just take your living room, for example. In your living room, chairs alone earn injure more than 400,000 of us each year. Tables produce almost as many injuries and are even riskier for toddlers than chairs are. Desks and cabinets likewise claim their toll. A quarter of a million injuries per year. Rugs and carpets send about 130,000 people to the hospital each year. Stereo systems and televisions produce 100,000 injuries. And by the way, the chance that your television set will catch fire sometimes this year is about one in 7,500. Move on to the bathroom. True to their reputation, tubs and showers are the chief culprits here, producing upward of 150,000 serious injuries per year. A close second to the tub in the injury sweepstakes are toilets, 45,000 injuries. It would be fascinating to know how how so many people injure themselves on their toilets, but unfortunately, the feds do not collect that data. More than 40,000 men each year require emergency treatment for shaving injuries. (laughs) A man is twice as likely to injure himself with a razor as a woman is. Hair dryers cause another 15,000 injuries. And another less than safe gadget in the bathroom is the hair curling iron, where 500 teenagers manage to stick a hot curling iron into their ear, into their eye each year. Yeah. The bedroom. You thought that was safe. Place of peace and tranquility, anything but. Some 400,000 of us each year are seriously injured by our beds. Everything from falling out of them to falling down with them to injuring a body part on the bedstead. The clothing in the closets also takes its toll. 150,000 Americans are seriously injured by their clothing every year. And and probably about 100,000 of us get rushed to the emergency room because our shoes or shoelaces have not performed as designed. As far as money that some of us keep under the mattress, hospital admissions records indicate that about 28,000 people each year require treatment at a trauma center caused by handling or swallowing cash. Most household draperies in the bedroom, not a good idea. 20 people every year accidentally strangle themselves to death on drapery cords. And somehow, somehow 6,000 adults every year manage to injure themselves with their bedclothes. Not even going to go there. Anybody want to guess where the most dangerous part in your house is? The staircase. The single biggest risk in a household is the stairway. Roughly 2 million Americans take a serious fall on them every year. And although men are at home fewer hours than each week than a woman, they are 50% more likely to injure themselves on stairs than the women are. 
So all of life is risky. Even your house is risky. So that gives a little perspective when we're talking about sharing your faith and the risky feelings that you might feel with that. Um, There's an account in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark chapter 2, about some men who took a risk to get their friend to see Jesus. And I want to talk about that today. It's found in in Mark's gospel, chapter 2. Let me just read it to you. If you want to follow along, beginning right there at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. It says, when Jesus entered again into Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large, num- large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that that, this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Four guys took a risk to get their friend to Jesus. And there's, they took some really big risks, if you think about it. And there's something about their, their attitude and their mentality that I think is really good for every one of us. When we feel that apprehension about sharing our faith or extending that invitation and that little bit of nervousness and anxiety that you might feel, here's some things that I think might help from this guy's experience. And I think it starts with this. I think we just need to be willing to enter into the mess of people's lives. See, there's a deep friendship among these five guys. Word gets around town that Jesus is back in town and he's, he's, he's uh, speaking in a house down on 5th Street and they think to themselves, we have got to get our friend to see Jesus. But they get there and it says that people gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And in this crowd comes these guys. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man. Now, those three words, a paralyzed man, speak volumes. Because in those days, there was no medical treatment. There was no surgery that might be able to alleviate the paralysis. Um, There was no physical therapy that he could go through. For if you were paralyzed at at that point in life, pretty much your life was confined to a two foot by five foot mat. And your life consisted of begging. You were totally dependent on people throwing a few coins down on your mat as they walked by. Think about this. This man, someone every day had to clean him, had to clothe him. They had to carry him wherever he was going to go for the day. They had, someone had to come alongside and just move him on his mat to, to alleviate bed sores. He has no, no future. He's got no job. He's got no clout. He's got no influence. He's got nothing except four really good, amazing friends. That kind of friendship does not come easily. It doesn't come by accident. It comes with dedication and compassion. And that's what that 
this guy has. He has those kinds of friends. Here's the thing. Every one of us has a mat. Every one of us has a mess in our lives all around this room because life is messy. Some of us are better at hiding it. Some of us, our are, are mat or our weakness, our, 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 our struggles are a little bit more apparent, but everybody has a mat. Everybody has a messiness to their life. Just in my circle of friends outside the churches, friends that I have, I have a friend who's battling cancer. And just last week, found out it's now moved into his lungs. He's my friend. care about him I have another friend whose mom is in the first stages of dementia and lives in Florida and he's had to spend the last two weeks in Florida trying to get her into a care facility that she doesn't want to go into he's struggling right now another friend who's still recovering from a divorce the husband that walked out on her I have another friend whose son is battling mental illness and it's just a real struggle for them right now. And if, if you're a parent, you know it's harder to see your kids suffer than to suffer yourself. That's just within my circle of friends. You have a circle of friends who is filled with people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are dealing with life issues and everybody has their mat. We've got to be willing to enter into the mess of people's lives. Because it's there that we build that kind of trust. See, these guys, they had spent time with their friend. They had carried him before. This was not the first time they picked up that mat and carried him. And because they had invested in his life, he trusted them when they were going to bring him to Jesus. And I think we've got to be willing to invest in people's lives, to get down into the mess of everyone's life. And the way that that happens, by the way, is by simply being vulnerable about our own struggles and our own messes and our own mats. Because I think sometimes, as Christians, we sometimes project an image like we've got it all together. And we don't. We are all fellow strugglers. And if we're willing to admit our own vulnerabilities and weaknesses... It's, it's ironic that the things that we, we tend to try and hide because we're afraid because of them people will reject us could actually be the things that connect us deeper into people's lives. So being willing to jump into the mess of people's lives. And, and when you invest in the lives of friends, I think there's another thing is we have to be convinced, I mean absolutely convinced that they would really be better off knowing Jesus. And sometimes I think we doubt that a little bit. These guys knew that the answer was going to be Jesus. It was Jesus who was their hope. Jesus was their attraction. It was Jesus that they had to get to. It says, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. People knew about Jesus. He had been there before. He had actually started his ministry in that area of Capernaum and along the Sea of Galilee. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were all recruited by Jesus mending their nets on the seashore right there by Capernaum. He had performed miracles the last time he had been in town. So they knew about Jesus. They knew he had the power to heal. In fact, that's what Luke's gospel in his account of this says, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. They knew. And when we don't know what level of faith they had and how much they believed and what they believed about Jesus, but one thing they were convinced of, if we can just get our friend 
to Jesus, there's hope. And I think that belief changes everything. Like I say, if, if, if we just, if we don't believe that, it doesn't come from the heart. I don't think it resonates with people. I, remember, I grew up pretty much in church, and in my teenage years and young adult years, um, one of the things we used to do is we used to go from our church, we used to go knocking door to door and you know, sharing our faith with people. And we learned how to present the gospel, the four spiritual laws of the Roman royal road and all these different ways of sharing the gospel. And we would go door to door on Sunday afternoons, knock on doors, and, and I would, every time we'd do this, I would secretly be praying nobody would be home. <laughs> Because it just felt like I was some kind of door-to-door salesman trying to convince somebody of something that they don't really want. (laughs) The truth is, when it comes from our heart and it comes out of a relationship, it's far more natural. When we invest in people's lives and we truly believe that, that they would be better off knowing Jesus, then something flows from that that's much more natural. How do you do that? I think just being able to tell your story. We're we're doing these videos for um, Invitation Life. Tell your invitation story. How did you come to faith in Christ? Somebody told you. Somebody invited you somewhere along the way. What is your story? There's an account in one of the Gospels where Jesus heals a man who had been born blind. And, and, And now he's seen everybody in town knows him as the guy that used to sit by the gate begging because he was blind. And now he's seen, and nobody can understand it, and, and the religious leaders don't understand it, and they're debating about it. His parents don't even, aren't even sure what's going on. And everybody's this big hubbub about what happened, and, and the blind man simply says this. I says, I don't know about all that other stuff. All I know is I was blind. Now I see. That's enough of a story. I don't know all the theological answers. I can't answer every question that you have, but I do know this. Before I knew Jesus, this was my life. And here's what it's like now. Just being, sharing your story. So these guys are convinced. And they're so convinced that they don't just invite their friend, they go pick him up. Literally. (laughs) They pick him up and they bring him to Jesus. And that gets to this third point. I think we need to adopt a whatever it takes mentality that would get them to him, a whatever it takes mentality. They are so close, so close, but they can't get through. Something they had not counted on. They arrive late to the party, and not only is the house crowded, but they can't even get near the house because the crowds are spilled out outside the door. Everybody wants to get to see Jesus. Everybody wants to hear Jesus. And they look at each other and say, now what are we going to do? And you got to kind of have a little bit of imagination, kind of picture yourself in that situation. They're sitting there. They brought their friend. They want to get into Jesus, and there's no way. They're so close, but they can't get through. And they sit down and go, now what are we going to do? And so they have kind of this brainstorm session. And you know, brainstorm sessions, the rule is there's no such thing as a bad idea. So they go around, and they start off real safe. for the Well, maybe if we just sit here and wait it out, when everybody's left and Jesus comes out, then maybe we can get him to Jesus. But there's an urgency about it. No, they've got to make sure they get the friend in. And maybe Jesus goes out the back door and we miss him. We, we can't take that chance. And then one, maybe one of them comes up with this idea. I know. We'll just go and we'll go up to the front door and just yell, fire! And everybody will scatter. And then we'll get in with Jesus. No, no, that's not a good idea. That, that might cause some problems. People might get crushed in the rush out. You know, we can't do that. And so they go, anybody else got any ideas? And then this one guy over in the corner, he looks over and he sees there's some rope here by the side of the house. He goes, I know. 
We'll grab the rope, we'll go up on the roof, we'll dig a hole, and we'll drop them down through the hole in the roof. And the leader group turns to the other guy and he says, okay, let's go with that fire idea. Tell me what you think about that. No, they do it. They get up on the roof. Now, again, you got to kind of understand, the house in those days was pretty small. It was maybe a two, maybe three-bedroom home. Uh, and and um, there was a, usually staircases on the outside that got up to the roof, and that was kind of where sometimes they would have, have, that was their patio, basically. And, 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 and also, here's what you need to understand about the roof, because I know some of you are thinking, no, that's vandalism. They're turning guys' house. Okay. Every year, somebody would have to replace the, the roof, pretty much, because it was just basically wood planks that was covered over with some straw and some mud and kind of sealed up that way. And it would wear out every year. So pretty much every year, you'd have to replace the roof. So they were doing the guy a favor. They were just putting in a skylight, okay? Um, but, but, but they take that chance. They did, they did the risk because of their deep love for their friend and their confidence in Jesus as a healer. They're willing to take the risk, whatever it takes. Craig Groeschel, pastor of Life Church, one of their core values is that one of their core values is we will, we will take risks that nobody else is willing to take. Another one is that they said, we will do anything short of sin to bring people to Christ. <laughs> we'll do anything short of sin to bring people to Christ. They're so passionate about taking those risks, whatever it takes. And these guys are willing to take that risk. So it says, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, again, a little imagination. Put yourself inside. And you're sitting there, and Jesus is talking, and you hear some commotion, some noise, you know, up on the roof. People are walking around. I wonder what's going on up there. But, it, you know, it's just, you keep listening to Jesus. And then, and then all of a sudden, you hear picks and shovels, you know? And then and you look up, and a little bit of dust starts to come down. And then you look up, and there's this little tiny hole, light coming through. And the hole gets bigger, and little... Bigger chunks kind of fall at your feet, and you're kind of wondering, what in the world is going on here? And I'm, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm kind of thinking Jesus' perspective. At what point did he just stop teaching and figure, okay, I've lost them all? Because you know? <laughs> I know I'm preaching sometimes, you know, and there's a squeak or a little distraction over there, and everybody turns and looks over there, and I know I've lost them for the next three or four minutes, okay? So I just kind of wonder, at what point did Jesus say, okay, I give up. Let's all watch the show, you know? <laughs> it opens up. This man gets dropped through on this mat, lowered down by these ropes. And look at what it says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And what I want you to notice is he saw their faith, the four friends. Have you ever thought about that, that it's your faith that could be that bridge for someone else to find Jesus? Your faith might be that bridge. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go tear up roofs. That would probably be counterproductive. But you can take some risks. Everybody got a piece of rope as you came in. Would you pull it out right now? I know people are wondering, why did he give us rope? Okay, That's what you've been thinking about this whole sermon. Here's why. This rope represents an opportunity. As those four friends are trying to figure out how they're going to get their friend to Jesus, they see this rope, and that's how we're going to do it. So what I want you to do is take this rope home with you. Put it somewhere where you will see it 
every day, every morning. Tape it to the mirror in your bathroom. Stick it in the cup holder in your car. Um, use it as a bookmark, whatever. But somewhere where you will see it every day to remember today, today's an opportunity. Today, this rope represents an opportunity. God, if you will use me to help someone just get a little bit closer to you, remind me to look for the opportunities. You see, that's really what it came down to. A piece of rope became an opportunity. Just recognize and look for opportunities. We have some people in our church that on a regular basis throw parties in their home. And in their home, this is the risk that they take. They invite half of the party is made up of their friends from church. And the other half of the party is their friends outside of church. And they just want to get their unchurched friends together with their church friends and hope to build some bridges there. Now, that's a little bit risky. Not on the level of digging through somebody's roof, but it is a little bit risky. It was a number, couple of years ago, one of the students in our middle school group was challenged with this idea of inviting a friend, just bringing a friend to youth group. She took it seriously. She started inviting friends to the point where her mom had a minivan load of middle schoolers coming to youth group. In fact, they had more middle schoolers in there than they had seats for or seat belts for. Now, you didn't hear that from me. But they would have to have somebody like, sit down below the window so no one could see that there were too many people in the van. But she just kept inviting and kept inviting, packed, up her mom's mini, packed out her mom's minivan, just bringing kids. That's, that's an invitation. See, that's the whole deal. Be willing to take the risk, to just be a little bit bolder, look for the opportunities, and take that risk. Now, it says later on, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And there's a lot of controversy about that. Like, well, why did, and I, I even think about that myself. Why doesn't he just say, be healed. But he starts with, son, your sins are forgiven. And here's why. Because I think every healing, every restoration, every reconciliation has to start with God. And Jesus looks at the whole person. And to do a physical healing without addressing the man's soul would be a half-performed miracle. It needed to start with getting right with God. And so he offered him that grace and that forgiveness. And when everybody gets all stirred up about it, he just simply says this, which is easier. <laughs> What's easier to say to the paralyzed man? Because both of them are just as ridiculous if you think about it. Your sins are forgiven or to say, take your mat and walk. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Jesus looks at the whole person. And sometimes it's people's point of breaking. It's the messiness of their life. It's the hurt and the struggle that opens them up to the idea that, you know what? I need someone besides myself to sort this out. And it could be by meeting someone in that point, in their mess, you could be that bridge to bring them to Jesus. Steve writes about it in his book. He just puts it simply like this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your friends who are far from God would be better off if Christ was at the center of their lives? If so, what's prohibiting you from plowing through every obstacle to help get your friends as close as possible to Jesus? You can do this.
Would you bow your heads with me? Every week through this series, I've been asking you to think of one person. And maybe today through this message, you thought of somebody in your life who's at a point of breaking right now or, or, or in a struggle or, or dealing with some issues, some mess in their life. And if you would just come alongside and join them in the mess and be that compassion, that caring, and you could help them find there's an answer to the mess. Just help lead them to Jesus. Each week I've been asking you to do that, so I'm asking you to do that again today. There's somebody in your life that you would love to see come to know Jesus. And you could be a part and would commit to be a part of helping make that happen. Instead of raising your hand, I'm going to ask you to raise up your piece of rope. Say, I'm going to look for the opportunities. I'm praying for the opportunities. I've got someone like that in my life. Lift it up high. I'm making a declaration. There's somebody in my life who needs to know. The grace of God. The healing power of God. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to help them find him. Lord, you see us with this little piece of rope. It represents the opportunities that we have. And today, together, we are saying, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to look for those opportunities. Would you give us the boldness to speak up and take that risk? We pray it in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today. And you came because somebody invited you. They invited you because they love you. And maybe you don't know that life of grace. You don't know that relationship with Jesus. Today, you can take a first step of faith. So those who are holding the rope, you can put your hands down. But if you want to take that first step of faith, it's very simple. You just admit your need. And you ask for that forgiveness that Christ purchased on the cross for you. He paid the price so you don't have to. And he turns around and he offers this life that you just trust him. And if you've never done that, but today you want to take that first step of faith, I'm going to ask you to do something similar. Just raise your hand, and if you would, hold it up and then look me up because I want to acknowledge you and see you and say, I'm praying with you and lead you in that prayer. Yeah. Anyone else? All right, yeah, yeah. So let me just invite you now to make this your prayer. Lord, I'm tired of doing life on my own. And I've gone through enough that I I know I can't do this on my own. It's beyond me. I can't fix myself. I can't make myself any better. Not in my own strength. Lord, I am putting my trust and my faith in you. Would you take that work that you did on the cross, and by that, bring forgiveness for my sin. Make me right with you. And teach me how to follow you. Today, I'm deciding to put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may